0: With a cooperative, you know, yes, we have to make some money, yes, we have to pay pay the bills, but how can we serve our customers first and the bottom line second?
1: Welcome to Episode 198 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Rural homes and businesses don't need high-quality internet access only for streaming movies, checking email, and watching funny cat videos. Today's agriculture, including family farms, need access to fast, affordable, reliable connectivity for uploading crop reports, checking real-time commodity prices, and to remotely monitor the status of crops and livestock. Unfortunately, farm technology is far ahead of large corporate provider infrastructure investment in rural areas. Farmers must depend on slow connections that nullify the advantages of modern technology. In episode 198, Chris talks with Mark Erickson and Jake Rieke. Mark is the director of the Economic Development Authority in Winthrop, Minnesota, and Jake is a farmer in Renville County, Minnesota. In Renville County and nearby Sibley County, both farmers and people in town tired of waiting for the incumbents to provide 21st century connectivity, In order to bring the connections they needed for economic development, education for their kids, and to help keep their rural communities competitive, they formed the RS Fiber Cooperative. The organization is owned and controlled by members and is now bringing service that outperforms the Internet access found in the metro. How did they do it? Mark and Jake, who were instrumental in moving the project forward, share their story. But you can learn more by reading our new report, RS Fiber Fertile Fields for New Rural Internet Cooperative. Download it at ILSR.org. Now here are Chris,
2: Mark Erickson, and Jake Rieke. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. Today I'm speaking with Mark Erickson, the Director of Winthrop Economic Development Authority. That's the city of Winthrop and a member of the RS Fiber Cooperative Board. Welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Chris. Thank you.
2: And we also have Jake Rieke on the line, a fifth-generation farmer in Renville County and a member of the RS Fiber Cooperative Board as well. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. So RS Fiber was uh, our inaugural show, the very first show of um, the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Um, you were on almost 100 shows ago, Mark, um, to talk about your progress. But finally, we're talking about how the stru- how the project got structured and actually broke ground. Um, so let's just start off. Um, Mark, uh, just briefly remind us where is RS Fiber located, and what is the region like?
0: Uh, the RS Fiber project is about uh, seventy miles west southwest of the Twin Cities here in Minnesota. It, it uh, covers most of, or yeah, uh, most of Sibley County and a little bit of surrounding counties. About seven hundred square miles, and it's a fiber to the farm, fiber to the home network.
2: And you're mostly uh, farming communities, right? We are. We, this
0: is a, uh, a heavy ag area. Uh, we have uh, four other cooperatives, ag cooperatives, in our small community besides RS Fiber. Uh, so this is uh, an ag community, an ag area, ag school district where we live and love
2: ag. Can you tell us a little bit about the cities that are part of the project, that are within the, the bounds of the, of the project?
0: Sure, Chris. There are 10 cities. The largest is about 2,300. The smallest is about 400. Uh, One county seat. Um, Two major school districts between the 10 cities. Um, One high school in the 10 cities. Uh, There's some middle schools and some elementary schools. Uh, But these are communities that have uh, um, faced the... Uh, decline of, of, of rural communities in the last uh, 15, uh, 20 years. And, and, and we are hoping and we are working toward this fiber project making a difference.
2: And, Jake, um, Mark had mentioned that this is a wireless and fiber project. Uh, can you tell us uh, how um, RS Fiber decided to move forward? What's the technology plan?
3: Originally, we had uh, intended to bring fiber out to the farm at the same time as the cities.
2: Uh, But logistically,
3: when you looked at uh, how you actually put this network down, it made more sense to do the cities first with fiber with a wireless overlay. Uh, And actually, the hybrid network uh, really works well. They complement each other quite well because all of our wireless towers are fed with a fiber optic uh, cable. So the rural area is covered with uh, point-to-point wireless, and that can do about 25 megabits per second internet. Upload and download. It's symmetrical. Our range is about five to seven miles out from each of the towers, and the towers are located in uh, all of the 10 or 11 cities um, that are involved in the project. I believe it's 10 cities, and then we have a, um, an extra tower out there to kind of fill in the gap.
2: And you've been a customer for quite a bit. Uh, tell us what your experience has been uh, using the wireless.
3: Yeah, I was uh, one of the first to get hooked up off of the Fairfax uh, Tower, and um, and I see a pretty consistent twenty five megabit per second uh, uh, speed, and uh, and it has been terrific internet, uh, and no no complaints. The latency is is great, no complaints at all.
2: And how does that compare with uh, what you had before, both in terms of uh, quality and in terms of price?
3: So the price is about the uh, equivalent. Of what we had before, uh, but the the quality is far better. Really, the options out in the in the country, out in the farms, are you have satellite as an option. Uh, you have Verizon, like a Verizon hotspot type um, setup, is an option. Or uh, there there is a, a couple of other wireless ISPs out there, uh, but their speeds uh, are typically between two between two megabits per second and maybe up to five megabits per second, somewhere in there. And that's on the download side. The upload side is always uh, considerably slower than that. Apart from that, there's dial-up, but uh, you can't really consider that an option anymore in, in, uh, with the modern internet.
2: And so, Mark, one of the things that that you and I have talked about over the years was how important it was for you to make sure that uh, everyone in the county had service. Uh, You know, you had uh, noted on multiple occasions it would have been more cost effective and and easier, frankly, to just build a high quality network to the cities. Uh, Can you remind us why is it important to uh, go to these areas where it's more expensive to serve?
0: Uh, we started out originally, originally uh, looking at just the cities, and then the uh, uh, a county extension agent and economic development uh, person uh, came to us and said, uh, "Please make it a fiber to the farm study." And his point was, we're all we're all symbiotic out here. I mean, this is ag, and we have kids in school that go home and have no internet connections at all for their iPads because we're an iPad school. And it just made great sense, you know, uh, that we make this a rural study as well. Uh, that um, got cemented in place uh, pretty darn quick. We have tremendous some support in our efforts from the rural area, and uh, we're we're really in lockstep on this. I mean, we we would, if forced to, go forward without the rural, but we don't want to go forward without the rural because our school districts, our our care providers, our businesses, you know, we, we rely on one another.
2: And Can you give us a sense, Mark, of what the cost difference is between serving the cities versus uh, serving the, the farms that are harder to reach?
0: When we had our study done and we had these numbers checked by some construction folks, uh, it's about $2,500 per pass per resident or business in the cities to build the network and it's around ten thousand dollars per pass or home in the rural area, and you know that's that's a large difference. We actually have a couple of our rural connections that could go as high as fifteen or sixteen thousand dollars. We have some that'll be much less than ten thousand dollars. It averages around six thousand dollars per pass um, if you throw everything in, uh, and and that was a that was a, a tough number to reach with our business plan. We had to figure out a way to make that cash flow and. And through some creative financing, we got we got that done.
2: Well, Jake, one of the things that we've seen in in communities around the United States where people are in your position is that um, people don't often give the kind of effort that that you did. And I know that you're not alone. There were many people from uh, the townships in uh, in Sibley and Renville County and the surrounding areas that gave a lot of their time, but but how can you just tell me what motivated you to um, to spend so much time year after year trying to find a solution when you couldn't be sure that something would actually result
3: for me it really boiled down boiled down to three things uh, first of all, it was poor service out in a rural area um, the my business of farming uh, needs uh, access uh, broadband access to the internet and a high speed internet connection and I have uh two kids that, uh, that are age two and four. And when you really think about it, if we don't have a plan, if, if nothing were to change out in the rural area, um, by the time they hit uh, adolescence and high school age uh, in 10 years or so, uh, the Internet connection would be uh, a real struggle out here, living out here on the farm. The service out here, the service options that we have are, are, are either satellite or, um, or some sort of cell Cell coverage, either Verizon or AT&T, uh, and both of those have very prohibitive data caps. So as soon as you start using the internet, um, you you reach your data cap, and um, and it no longer allows either the high speed or the or they cut the internet connection off. And the other options were the, the wireless ISPs out here, where they have a very slow connection, uh, oftentimes in the two to five megabit range, and um, and and have very slow uh, upload speeds that.
2: Well, Jake, one of the things that that I thought was um, particularly poignant in in some of our discussions when we were working on the RS Fiber was, you know, I think some people think, oh, well, it would be nice to have Internet access. But the way you were phrasing it uh, was that you were afraid you'd actively be harming your daughter's chances to live on a fifth-generation farm um, and that you might have to move. I just, you know, to me, I can't imagine how hard that must be as a parent to be thinking You know what are we gonna do? Um, This is something that's been in my family for so long, but but yet um, my my children just won't have a chance. You know, can you just tell us a little bit about that? You know, those feelings.
3: So for me, I I was seriously considering uh, having to move off the farm, um, a farm that was homesteaded by my family in in 1862, and and move into a town with better broadband access because I felt that there was a serious possibility that I was putting my kids at a disadvantage compared to uh, those living in the city uh, and those with better broadband access. Um, today, in, in, in with modern technology and whatnot, it, it, it's a serious need for, for kids to have a, a, a good understanding of how uh, everything works and, and to be interested in, in, in computer technology and, and things like that for, uh, for employment in the future
2: one of the conversations we recently had on the podcast was uh, was with Fred Pilot who had written a book about you know, universal service and, and uh, the problems we're having with extending high quality internet access to everyone and I can't help but notice that you haven't listed DSL as one of the options uh, and I know that I called you on your cell phone um, what is the situation with your telephone provider there that, that you don't have um, either a, 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 you know, a good telephone line that's high quality um, or or DSL.
3: Telephone lines out here that were um uh, were put in by the telephone company, I think in the nineteen fifties, somewhere in there. Um, they're seriously eroded and um and they're you know, they're seventy five years old. So it's kinda hit or miss whether or not you'll get a decent uh, landline connection. And uh and DSL is not an option for us out here because we're outside of that what two to three mile range that you need to be within a one of their nodes to get to be a cell service Centralink is our provider out here now and uh, they don't they don't have a an internet option for it
2: and, and mark i also called you on a cell phone but you're located in winthrop which is a, a city that i would assume you're right there within um you know you, you presumably have better service why did i have to call you on, on your cell phone
0: well, it's kind of the same thing. It's a, it, a copper network operated by our, our local phone company, and it's it's uh, the quality isn't bad. It's just not that good. There's a lot of pops and hissing in it, uh, and uh, it's just an older network that requires a lot of maintenance, and, and they haven't been able to do it. Uh, I have farmers over on the eastern side of the county who uh, say that they have phone service but it works half the time because when it rains all of the pedestals go underwater or they're knocked over and you know this it's a it's a high cost maintenance area for copper networks and the phone companies are just unable because of their business structure unable to provide that maintenance out here it just doesn't make sense for
1: them
2: well one of the things that i know is is floating around and i'll just say it um i know that um that you guys, um, you're not able to talk about it because there's um, pending litigation, but uh, as I understand it, HBC could offer telephone service in Winthrop, but is having trouble um, porting numbers over because Winthrop Telephone is uh, trying to play um, hardball with them basically, or making it, it difficult. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's one of those issues that's floating out there that I just wanted to note that we we can't talk about, um, um, because you guys, um, you know, are part of the, the, the structure that's involved in negotiations. Um, but people should be aware that over time, HBC will be offering high-quality phone service to everyone there. Um, and that actually um, reminds me of something that I wanted to make sure we mentioned. Um, Your cooperative, Mark. Um, you're not actually providing service directly. Um, just briefly tell us um, how people get services over the RS Fiber Network.
0: Well, you become a member of the cooperative. We, we uh, hired Hiawatha Broadband Communications out of Winona, Minnesota to be our operator. They actually do everything for the network,
2: and that's and that's HBC, which I just referenced, Hiawatha Broadband.
0: That's HBC. They're a wonderful provider. They they have been the answer to many of our prayers. You can trust them, and they do an outstanding job. Uh, but you become a member of the of the cooperative. You go to the website, and you can either call or email or stop in at one of the offices, and you sign up for service. And they schedule your installation. There's no cost to have it installed to have the fiber drop to your house or to have it installed in your house. Um, there's no a long-term contract. There's no price games. There's no, this is, the, this is the cost now, and this is the cost down, down the road. It is what it is. When you call somebody, you get a local person on the phone. Uh, they respond as soon as they can. Uh, we just think that the quality of service that we're gonna provide over the fiber, the customer service that's gonna be av- available on a smaller network is really gonna make a difference you know, I have a fiber at my house. I live in Winthrop, and, and I have 100 megs up and down. It's just incredibly phenomenal to be able to do that. And my a video is just crystal clear it's just outstanding video all right all right so, you stop
2: bragging i'm jealous <laughs> <laughs> um you know i have a gig like, if i want it too chris <laughs> <laughs> probably for less that i'm paying for my comcast asymmetrical slow um uh, although it's some, uh, quite reliable frankly for uh, for a cable connection uh connection it's not what i would call super reliable but for cable it's pretty good um now, one of the things that I think people should know is that HBC is not just the service provider, but they also were essential in, I think, um, two of the twists that, that made RS Fiber come to fruition. And, and one of them we discussed, which was uh, breaking the project into two parts, uh, making sure that um, you know they built a, a, a um, ring first to connect wireless nodes and to start connecting some of the cities. Um, they're going to finish connecting the cities, and then they'll eventually um, then go out to the farms in phase two, with fiber. Um, but immediately, everyone, almost everyone uh, can take service from the wireless, um, which is important and something that HBC was, you know, one of the ones that helped think about and how to do that. Um, the second piece is what I want to talk about now, which is the financing. Um, and, and Mark, um, I'm curious if you can just walk us through it, um, you know, I think briefly, um, how does it start in terms of the, the local governments? Um, you know, what did they do to make this happen?
0: The Local governments formed a joint powers board, and they uh, the original plan was to float a revenue bond, and 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 build the network all at once. The bond market kind of turned against us during the downturn, uh, and we uh, had to come up with a new plan. So the joint powers board, on the advice of Shannon Sweeney from uh, David Drowned, our uh, financial uh, provider, said why why don't you do a public-private partnership that works like this the joint powers board will sell a geo a generally obligated tax abatement bond and loan it to the cooperative as an economic development loan the amount that they're loaning is about 25% of the cost of the project so we put the down down there are, at this point no public dollars involved it's just the pledge of public dollars and then the cooperative uh, leverage that down payment into additional financing from the private market and some USDA financing. Uh, it's still in flux a bit and it's still being worked out, but it's, uh, it's workable and it, it was a great solution for us because it brought the cost of our project down in the amount of interest that we're going to pay by a substantial amount. Under the revenue bond, we had to borrow all $70 million at once because we had to have extra dollars for cash flow and extra dollars for a debt service reserve fund. That was a requirement. We don't have to do that under this financing scheme, so, and we borrow the money as we need it. So the um, interest payments are much less. It, it, it really helps the business plan and uh, we're, we're lucky that we had the advisors and the partners that we did to recommend and make this thing work.
2: Well, and I think there's there's uh, two additional sources that um, deserve credit. And I thank you for not going on to list all of them because uh, it can take a while. Um, but um, one is the state of Minnesota has a program that is allowing you to connect some of the farms right off of the backbone. Uh, you've gotten a, a grant from that, um, from the Border to Border Fund, as it's now called. Um, and then the other is uh, Blandon Foundation. And, and just briefly let us know how Blandon helped out along the way.
0: Uh, Blandon, the C.K. Blandon Foundation out of Grand Rapids, Minnesota, has been our stalwart supporter. They they provided the first $40,000 grant uh, for a feasibility study. It was a matching grant. And along the way, over the next three or four years, they they provided some additional grant dollars to help us do our marketing and get it down the road. Um, uh, the grant from the state of Minnesota was for a $1 million, and it's going to unserved. People, it's, We made the distinction that we wanted to, to, to direct those grant funds to unserved, so uh, that's what we will do this year with those dollars. So between the Blandon Foundation and their initial support and their ongoing support and, and the million dollars from the state, uh, it made a big difference in our project.
2: And I want to just say that one more time in terms of the financing arrangement because I think people's heads often spin a little bit. But uh, I would simplify it by saying um, the cities basically bonded to raise some money. They loaned it to the co-op and then they set an agreement where if the co-op uh, was struggling to raise um, – if the if the co-op, once it began offering service – um, struggled to make any of its debt payments, uh, the cities would be repaid last, which takes the risk out of the project and allowed local banks to participate uh, more fully um, because they would they would have much less risk. the The project would have to fail so um, catastrophically for them to have any losses on their loans. Um, that it's almost, it's impossible to imagine that happening. Because even if the project doesn't work out well, it's still going to be generating a lot of revenue from all of the people that desperately need service. Did I I get that right? You did. We,
0: We subordinated our loan to the cooperative, to all of the banks. So we're the last ones to be paid, but we're the most secure form of financing. And that gave a lot of comfort to the private lenders uh, knowing they had that base of support for for the bonds if the co-op couldn't pay them and of course the uh, private lenders would be the first to receive their uh, money if the project failed
2: now jake i know that you're over in uh... renville county so you didn't have to worry too much about uh... sibley county because uh... i know at one point everyone in sibley was going to have service but when the county backed out uh... the townships themselves had to choose um, you know, I'm, I'm curious, um, of the four townships that chose not to go forward with the project, the overwhelming majority of townships did go forward. Um, you know, do you have a sense of, of whether any of those who have opted out, um, the cities or the townships um, that are not a part of the project, will they have a chance to get back into this?
3: Yeah, that is yet to be decided. But um, ultimately, we have a business plan that we're looking at. And, um, and the business plan has to pay the bills. And uh, that's what it boils down to. So, you know, we, we would we would kind of take that as a case-by-case basis. I don't think that there's no policy that the board has set that says absolutely not to anybody who wants to jump in. Um, but, um, but that's something that the board will have to discuss and make a decision based upon uh, the cost of construction and the number of subscribers and the revenue that can ultimately come out of that.
2: And, and Jake, I want to I want to follow up then with um, something that I, I deliberately held over. We could have talked about it earlier. Um, but how has your life changed now that you've gone from having, you know, slow um, Internet access to having, um, you know, faster? It's faster than the minimum broadband definition uh, that is set by the FCC. What's different for you now out on the on the farm?
3: I would say it boils down to everything just works more efficiently. The internet just simply works better. If if my wife and I are watching Netflix or, or Hulu or something at night, you hit the button, and and you don't have to walk away while while it spins. You uh, the 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 programs just start. Uh, if I'm using the internet for uh, for farm use, I no longer have to plan ahead when I do software updates on my on my monitors that i use in my tractors and combine you can you can go online you can download the software that you need and and it's, it's there within a minute or two uh, it doesn't take an hour uh, so really uh, I, i've started using dropbox and and, um, and cloud storage and things like that um, because before it just it just took the internet co- connection up the entire day if, if you wanted to use some some backup services, you pretty much shut your internet connection down uh, for the day as it was trying to upload that information. We set up a, uh, a network cameras out at our at our hog site um, and uh, and now if if there's ever a question of, of what's going on out there at the at the hog barns, you can bring them up on your phone, you could bring them up on other computers, um, and there's no uh, there's no glitchiness, there's no lag. It's it's, uh, uh, it's high definition video. And um and that all works tremendously.
2: Well I'm I'm curious if in the future we'll see. I know we have um, you know, sort of the cage free chickens and that sort of thing. Will we have video surveillance free hogs? <laughs> 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 Violating <Yeah>. their privacy. <laughs> <laughs> Are
0: you starting the cause, Chris? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, now that you solved the, you know, you've developed the model for solving rural internet access, I will have more free time on Please. my hands. Um, I'm, I'm curious, Mark. You know, you've um, we were in the, the Iowa Association of Municipal Utilities conference, and you wowed people with how much opportunity you see for economic development because of having this high quality internet access throughout the community. Um, you know, tell us about one of the things you're most excited about.
0: Well, I I, uh, learned about the potential of the economic development regarding fiber networks from you and Jim Baller, but it it is phenomenal. Uh, We uh, are going to make a big difference in our schools. We're we're using the network as leverage to bring in the University of Minnesota Extension. We're going to enhance and create new STEM curriculum in cooperation with U.S. Ignite and the uh, University of Minnesota. We're also going to provide for a full-blown maker space over in Fairfax. And it's going to provide opportunities for students and adults to learn coding and robotics and drones and learn, uh, and learn um, 3D printing and injection molding, perhaps, and, and, and uh, metal manufacturing and uh, welding. Uh, we are going to make a difference with our health care because we're going to leverage this network for new telehealth opportunities. We're going to develop a broadcast journalism center where the kids will have their own uh, TV channel on the lineup and they'll be able to write and produce and direct their own original programming. Uh, we, We just are excited about the potential that this fiber network will bring to change the way we live, learn, work, and play. It's really exciting. It's real. And if you work at it and you find those little strings that lead to the right places, you can make it happen.
2: Well, you already you already have a new uh, investment, don't you, uh, that's already been committed to? the. Is it a medical school?
0: Right. Uh, over in the city of Gaylord, seven miles to the west, there's two towns hooked up that right now with fiber, uh, Gaylord and Winthrop. Because of the fiber network, uh, directly because of the fiber network, uh, there's an organization out east that wants to put a 600-student medical school in the city of Gaylord in an old high school there. They're going to renovate it. Uh, I I believe it's going to happen. It's not 100% yet, but there's a lot of support in the area for it. This is a school that will train uh, doctors for rural Minnesota, for rural practices. So we're very excited. It could change the landscape here dramatically, but for the better. And uh, it all started with fiber. And it's not going to happen everywhere, but when you can get that kind of connectivity in your home or your business or your farm, you can begin to improve your lot in life. You can do things more efficiently. You can, you can participate in the 21st century.
2: Now one of the things that i'm I'm curious about Jake is um you know looking toward the future. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you know you're on the co-op board um, in in two years, the cities will finish getting the fiber and uh, they will start looking at building the fiber out to the farm now, are you at all concerned that the the co-op might decide not to connect the farms with fiber It might just say, "Oh, wireless is good enough?"
3: We've heard some of that out out in the rural areas, talking with uh, with neighbors and whatnot, who have received the service. Who, who, who their first thought was, "Well, boy, this this 25 megabits per second is good enough for me. Why would I ever need more?" Um, but when you look at the the data, over I don't know how long the trend line is, but I think it's I think it's since the early 90s, uh, every about every three years, there's a doubling in demand for household bandwidth. Um, so right now, if you, um, if you take that 25 megabits per second speed in three years, uh, households will be looking for 50 megabits in six years, you'll be looking for hundred megabits and so on. And the trend continues. Uh, and there's no, um, there's no evidence that that trend is going to slow down, uh, anytime soon. Um, so that's why wireless is a terrific temporary, temporary solution. It, um, it, it. It mixes well with fiber because you can, you can source those wireless um, towers with fiber optic connection, which, where, where, which can be a bottleneck in other, in other ISPs, in other wireless ISPs network. Um, so if you think of the wireless as a temporary solution to, to build the business, to start the business, and then ultimately take revenues from the business to continue construction out into the rural area, um, that's, uh, that's a really terrific solution, um, for, uh, for getting fiber out to the farms and for getting fiber built, um, in, in, uh, low, low density areas.
2: And as a final question, I'm just curious for people who may not have as much experience with cooperatives. I, I kind of think that you and Mark, you know, think of cooperatives as being as natural as can be. Um, you're, you're from basically the cooperative capital of the country, um, uh, why is the structure of a co-op important in this case?
3: I would say cooperatives are just a lot more um, focused on service to the customer as opposed to um, uh, increasing shareholder profits, and I think that's what it what it boils down to. Is um, when you have a, a cooperative network or um, um, people people involved in a cooperative, they're looking at what that cooperative can do to better. Uh, the service for the customer.
2: Great. And Mark, did you have anything to add on to that?
0: I'll just h- harken back to what Jake said about the doubling of bandwidth and, and the poor network that's out there now for the rural areas. And I'll throw a little comment in. Thank goodness we have the incumbents building up to a ten one standard because, you know, we only have to go back five five years to make that a realistic goal for them.
2: I think that's that's an important comment because I actually think it's possible that that at the same time that Jake is getting fiber to his field from RS Fiber, the federal government will be paying CenturyLink to extend... 10 megabit download, 1 megabit upload to his farm. Um, that's what the federal government is doing with the Connect America Fund. And uh, and I think you're right to poke light at it. Um, I think it's it's atrocious that you guys had to, had to scramble to try and find the funding to build the generation, uh, the network that's the generation of tomorrow, whereas the big incumbents just go and they lobby and they set the federal programs to be subsidized to build a network that was obsolete 10 years ago, 5 years ago. Um, So I think it's a very good comment. Um, It's it's apropos, at least. The incumbents, by and large, do a great job. But unfortunately for us
0: out here, uh, they have a business model that doesn't work. Some people call it a market failure. They have to keep their shareholders happy. They have to maximize profits. They have to. That's their job, or else they're not doing their job. With a cooperative, the board of directors' job is to maximize benefit. You know, yes, we have to make some money. Yes, we have to pay, pay, pay the bills. But how can we serve our customers first and the bottom line second? And that's the business model that works for this long-term investment.
2: Right. I certainly wouldn't want to suggest that the CEOs of the telephone companies are evil. Uh, in fact, if they decided to suddenly try to build a network like that, um, that you're building, uh, they would be forced into a sudden and unplanned retirement by their shareholders. So, Yes, they
3: would. And they know that. I would liken this conversation to what Paul Bunyan Communications is doing in northern Minnesota. If you look at that, that's a well-established cooperative with uh, – uh, with good asset to debt ratio, and um, and look at what they have been able to do with those cooperative funds. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they have the the largest uh, by area fiber network in the nation. So that and that I think boils down the debate between cooperative and investor owned uh, utilities.
2: Right. I absolutely agree. And we come down fiercely on the side of the, uh, the cooperative model. Um, but this has been a, a terrific conversation. There's so much more that we could talk about that we could write a 30 page case study on and in fact have. Um, and, and even then we had to leave things out. So um, you know, I hope people will go back and listen to the previous interviews. But I really want to thank you, you both for taking time to come out and tell us more about um, how you've established the model and how it is moving forward. So thank Thank you. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. That was Chris
1: talking with Mark Erickson, Director of the Economic Development Authority in Winthrop, Minnesota, and Jake Reakey, a fifth generation farmer in Renville County, Minnesota. Be sure to go to ilsr.org and check out the new report on the cooperative, RS Fiber Fertile Fields for New Rural Internet Cooperative. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at Community Nets. And follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks.org. Thank you, Kathleen Martin, for the song, Player Versus Player, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening to Episode 198 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. Hello.